from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends, our first scripture reading comes to us through the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it can be found on page 681 of the Old Testament section of the Bible. Listen for God's word to us today. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like the text Lee just read for us this morning, text from Colossians is also part of the lectionary for Christ the King Sunday, page 188, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, beginning at verse 11 in chapter 1, concluding with verse 20. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. May you, may, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? O 
Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, our uh, staff had our annual retreat. We met at Decatur Presbyterian Church, and our theme for the day was empathy. We worked on how we build our competency for cognitive and emotional and active empathy in our work, in our relationships with one another, and in our relationships in the city and beyond. And, And one of the exercises in which we engaged had us in groups of three and we read to each other six-word stories. We read to each other six-word stories, and then we had discussions around the prevailing emotion or emotions that we could identify within these very, very compact narratives. Now, for those of you who've never heard of it before, the six-word story is is a pretty interesting narrative form. It's a pretty interesting uh, literary form, rather, a pretty interesting literary prompt. Uh, They are complete stories. They're complete stories, but they're told with only six words. And so this practice requires the writer to be precise and succinct. William Faulkner once said that that a novelist is a failed short story writer, and a short story writer is a failed poet. And I think what Faulkner is suggesting is that sometimes the the very best stories that we have are told in poetic form. And some of the best stories we have are told with, with very few words still articulating action and movement and conflict and and resolution and other elements that make for a compelling story. Ernest Hemingway has long been credited as the inventor of the six-word story. In fact, it was something that he wrote uh, that launched the entire genre. It's a story that goes like this. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Done this three times now. This is the first time there was an audible gasp. But I see your faces. I see the way you receive these six words strung together. They have power, don't they? They bring us emotionally to a place. They they take us somewhere. We we tap into something of our humanity, of of heartbreak, of unanswered and unresolved and, and lingering questions, heavy emotion in just six words. Now, some of you might be thinking, is there such a thing as a six word sermon? Because I definitely go to a church that had six-word sermons every Sunday. While the six-word sermon would not be good for our broadcast ministry, a lot of filler time there, it would be an interesting exercise. In fact, I I thought about what a six-word sermon might sound like 
on a day like today. On Christ the King Sunday, or as some congregations call it, the Reign of Christ Sunday. I thought about it a lot, and and actually in my preparations this week, I've done something I've never done before. I actually started by trying to write six-word sermons to talk about this day, to talk about what it holds for each and every one of us. And so here are just three of them that I'd like to share. God is God, I am not. Jesus is Lord, I am not. Christ is King, I am not. Today is the last Sunday of the Christian calendar, as I mentioned during the welcome and the announcements. It's sort of like the Christian version of New Year's Eve without Dick Clark or Ryan Seacrest. You can put yourself generationally wherever you want. But it is the last Sunday before the new year. We launch this brand new season, hard to believe, next Sunday with the start of the Advent season. We have Advent, and then we have Christmas, and then we have Epiphany, and then Lent, and then Easter, and then uh, Pentecost, and then after 23 or, or, or 28 weeks, it depends on when Easter falls, we get back to Christ the King Sunday, and that's the rhythm of our liturgical life. And of all these liturgical markers, of all of these special observances and seasons that I've just mentioned, I think it's worth noting that Christ the King Sunday is the baby of the bunch. The first mention of the observance of both Advent and the celebration of Epiphany. Epiphany is that day that remember when the Magi show up with the Holy Family and they show up bearing gifts and there is this Epiphany as Jesus uh, the Lord is being revealed to the Gentiles for the very first time. That's the Epiphany. Well, Advent and Epiphany weren't really started to be celebrated or observed until the fourth century when the church finally settled on December 25th as the date we would celebrate Christ's birth. Lent and Easter and Pentecost are a little bit older. They all originate in the first century. They are connected to Passover, which is older than them, and they're connected to the apostles and the early disciples, marking these significant dates since the time they actually took place in history, right? Christ's suffering, his death, his resurrection, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The church has been observing these days since they happened in history. So while most of these markers and observances are at least 1,600 to over 2,000 years old. Christ the King Sunday is only 94 years old this year. It was first instituted in, in 1925 by Pope Pius XI to call Christians to seek the peace and the rule of Christ. A special day to be set aside for the church to remember that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is king to commemorate the truth of what God has done in raising Jesus to new life and putting him in this throne, the Lord of all. 
Pope Pius XI wanted the church to remember that God had fulfilled the promise of the prophet Jeremiah that Lee read for us this morning. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days, in his days rather, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The church believes that this prophecy has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is this righteous branch. He is this Lord. And he's the Lord that the writer of Colossians describes for us in the text that I read. And in this description, I'm going to read a portion of it again. In this description, pay close attention to how many times the word all is used in this text. As an aside, when you come across a piece of scripture and you see a repetitive idea being mentioned over and over again by the writer, pay close attention. They're trying to tell us something. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Pay attention here. It's not that the writer is just saying that, oh, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the leader of the church. There's so much more. What the writer is saying is that that Christ's lordship is above all creation above all dominions, above all powers, all rulers, all things seen and unseen. We'd also do well to remember that this text was written to first century Christians who were constantly required to give their allegiance to Caesar and Herod, to call them Lord, to call them King. And the author reminds the early church in this tenuous, persecuted, coming-of-age time that their ultimate allegiance is to the ultimate God, is to the ultimate Lord, is to Jesus himself. That Pope Pius XI would institute Christ the King Sunday during the year 1925 really is, is no coincidence The pontiff was well aware of all that was happening on the geopolitical stage during that time. The pope was well aware of the rise of fascism and communism and authoritarianism and Nazism. Remember, Lenin had died in in 1924, thus clearing the way for Stalin to assume full control over the Soviet Union. Mussolini, right in the pope's backyard, was elected in 1922, and in 1925, he dissolved the Italian parliament, and he declared himself the supreme leader. 
1925, not too long after he was released from prison for his part in a, in a failed coup, Adolf Hitler convinced Bavarian authorities to lift the ban on the Nazi party, thus giving it permission to reorganize, to recruit, and to produce propaganda. You see, the Pope knew that these principalities and powers of darkness were on the move, and he knew that they would be doing their best work to influence Christians, their best work to to call them to an allegiance that moves them away from an allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so he said to the church, we have to recalibrate. We have to, to put our feet in the ground and hold firm and say no to these who are saying they are supreme, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must make that affirmation. One individual living during this time who sought to live as if Christ is truly Lord was Father Miguel Pro. In Pro's native Mexico, and this is about 1917, a new constitution was written and it included many anti-religious and anti-Catholic policies. There was a mandate for secular education in schools, and, and so that meant that, it, that the church could no longer participate in, in primary and, and secondary education. One of the articles in the Constitution outlawed monastic religious orders, and another forbade public worship outside of church buildings. Finally, civil rights and Uh, and just basic human rights were being stripped away from the clergy and religious leaders, and they were no longer allowed to comment on politics in any public form or fashion. They were no longer allowed to talk to the press. In 1926, 1926, Miguel Pro had been ordained as a priest and was living in Belgium Even so, he felt as if God was calling him back home, calling him to minister in Mexico. And as dangerous as that call would be, he knew he had to say yes because he knew Jesus was Lord of his life. So he went back to Mexico and he served the so-called underground churches, ministering to the needs of persecuted Christians, celebrating worship, administering the sacraments and pastoral care. And, And his activity, his ministry quickly garnered the attention of the government And he was eventually arrested and and falsely accused of being part of an assassination attempt. And with no trial and no opportunity to defend himself, Pro was sentenced to death by firing squad. On November 23rd, 1927, 92 years ago yesterday, Father Miguel Pro walked out of a prison cell and into a courtyard and on his way, he blessed the soldiers who would be part of the firing squad. He knelt down before them, a cross in one hand, a rosary in the other, and he started to pray. And then he stood on his feet once again, and he, and he lifted out his arms. He stretched out his arms, imitating the posture of Christ at his crucifixion. And he said, may God have mercy on you. May God bless you. 
Lord, you know I am innocent. Lord, you know I forgive my enemies. And before the shots rang out, Father Miguel Pro shouted, Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. God is God. I am not. Jesus is Lord. I am not. Christ is King. I am not. These six word stories describe the commitment of Father Pro. They describe what this Sunday I think is all about. And what these stories frame for us is not just the fact that I'm not God, that I'm not Lord, that I'm not King. They also frame the fact that neither are you. Neither is any political party or any politician or any elected official or any nation. Neither is Wall Street. Neither is your wealth or your zip code or your degrees or your social standing. Neither are the dominant cultural narratives shaping our existence. Narratives like whiteness is supreme. Narratives like the poor are lazy. Narratives like you should be afraid of everything. Narratives like I'm entitled to want and get what I want when I want it. God is God. And not this church and not its pastors, including the ones who are being installed today. And not our version of Christianity, nor anyone else's. God is God and not the voice in your head that keeps playing on a loop that says you're not good enough, you are less than, you are not forgiven, you ought to be ashamed, you can't get clean, you can't get sober, you can't get right. As followers of Jesus who seek to live the story that God is God, I am not, what we try to do is put Christ first in everything to put them first in our politics, to put them first in our professional lives, to put them first in our relationships, to put them first in our ethics, to put them first in the things that people see and the things that we do in secret, to put him first in how we steward our time and our talent and our treasure, to put him first in what we trust in and what we ultimately have our faith in, to put him first, to put his voice first when it comes to what we believe about ourselves what we believe about forgiveness, what we believe about our lovability, what we believe about our giftedness and our potential to contribute, to enter and receive the kingdom of God, to humbly follow Jesus Christ. Friends, I understand that for so many of us, the context of our faith seems similar to some of what was happening in 1925, but in so many ways, it seems dissimilar than what was taking place when, when the Pope first instituted Christ the King Sunday, right? I mean, let's just be practical about it. Very few within the sound of my voice will face a firing squad for obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want us to remember what Jesus taught in Luke 16, 10, when he said, whoever is faithful in little things, they will be faithful in big things. 
Whoever is faithful in little things will be faithful in big things. So for our time and perhaps for our part and for our place in, in 2019, perhaps we can frame it like this. To live as if God is God and I am not means to practice micro acts of allegiance. It means to practice micro acts of obedience that align with the lordship of Jesus Christ and his vision of the kingdom of God, to be obedient and faithful in small things so that we may find ourselves obedient and faithful in everything. In everything. God is God, I am not. Jesus is Lord, I am not. Christ is King, I am not. May we live as if it is so. And may we now stand in body or in spirit and affirm our faith with him 268. Crown him with many crowns.